Exodus chapter 12 The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males, without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Matthew chapter 18 At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, Truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. In the outset of this chapter, Jesus challenges us to dwell less on position and more on having the mindset of a child. The disciples in this chapter are asking, who's the greatest in heaven's kingdom? Who's most important around here? What's the pecking order? To which Jesus said, you need to make some changes of heart. So the emphasis is not on position or importance, but for us, this can often mean acquisitions, jobs, status, past achievements. The emphasis is more on who we are and how we behave. Being a human being rather than a human doing. So this leads me to talk about the battle that we're dealing with. Um, here I'm encouraged for us to be childlike in taking literally God's instruction on this matter. So how do we deal with sin? As I read the verses, I'm also mindful not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And there are two points that struck me. Firstly, how much easier it would be to actually offload to another person in a relationship, rather to confront that person who is guilty of this offence to God or sin. And secondly, how often it is that we neglect that we are at war. More so with the spiritual principalities and powers of darkness than what is actually in front of us in the physical realm. And that we have the authority to engage on the winning side. Within my family, I am occasionally confronted, to my shame, usually by my kids um, for uttering the odd naughty word little expletive if something happens to shock or distress me but I've recently found myself pondering what life could look like in church if we start to, to pull each other up on unclean or unwholesome talk that the Bible describes. In Ephesians 4 such talk is described in a similar context of disunity or dissension amongst believers it seems to me that different families have different levels of what's acceptable in terms of a swear word. However, in the family of God, an unclean or slanderous talk is unacceptable every time. And yet it's often the default for us when we are in need of offloading certain offences or sinful actions that have been done to us or done by another on our watch. And we prefer to tittle-tattle rather than to gently pull that person aside and to correct of certain grievances. This stems from our insecurities and our need to remain in comfort zones with those of similar mind. In her book, Braving the Wilderness, Brené Brown cites a study of mortality rates. She says that living with pollution increases our mortality by 5%. And yet, living with loneliness increases it by 45%. I would argue that in a society where loneliness seems endemic to me, 
that it's imperative that we model a whole and healthy way of bringing correction to those who fall short, rather than isolating them behind their backs to remain ignorant without our friendship. Whilst her book discusses issues that are wider of fears of relating to those outside of our comfort zones in similar social status, race, belief systems, etc., her principles on how to tackle this problem still stand. Brené Brown, she encourages us to speak truth to rubbish or wrongdoing whilst being civil at the same time. Quite a feat. And she also says that people are hard to hate close up so move on in. In other words, go and find them, talk it through and privately work it out. So it's with this same braveness that the Bible encourages us to dialogue in a situation to bring correction and wrongdoing. And if done well, um, in my experience, usually the person straightens out at the first or second step of correction. I think it's only on one occasion that um, sadly I've had to move on or as the Bible says treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. In other words associate less closely. Sadly that was an extreme, um, it was an extramarital affair where the grass seemed greener on the other side and it was with a lot of sorrow that I could only be there really for that person when they were finally able to make some positive changes. So let's be like children who belong to our father and demonstrate a relational correction to fellow brothers and sisters without lording it over them in some way or behind the back whispers. And on to my second point. We're reminded in verse 18 that we are at war when we are encouraged to bind and loose powers on earth and so it will be done in the heavenly realm. I believe one of the biggest lies of the enemy is first to convince us that he doesn't exist and secondly to convince us that we have no authority against him. In Ephesians 6 verse 12 it says we struggle not against flesh and blood but spiritual powers and forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I recall a time in my nursing career when I worked to detoxify homeless clients in a residential setting from drug addictions to make them clinically fit for rehabilitation. And one particular 20-something young man in my care used to come in for his daily appointment for counselling and physical monitoring. He would never be able to sit out this 20-minute session. Rather, he would constantly come in being angry and intense and aggressively arguing as to why he shouldn't do things our way. And he talked a lot, he listened a little, and although he called me mum, he was actually impossible to work with. One day I decided to try something new when I was seeing him. I prayed. I prayed under my breath. I bind you in the name of Jesus. And then I carried on praying in tongues silently as he was trying to have a rant. Suddenly, ah, he said, ah, what are you doing to me? I can't speak. I've just lost everything I was going to say to you. And so I was able to continue our meeting. 
And several of these progressive sessions with him later meant that he was successfully completing the treatment plan. In fact, he went on even to give his life to Jesus and was baptised in our local church and he entered a rehabilitation programme. If only I had thought of that a little bit earlier. See, I didn't even need to confront him about his behaviour. I simply prayed and the problem was dealt with. In her book, The Prophetic Warrior, Emma Stark reiterates this sense of authority with which every believer we can all take hold of from a position that is at our Father's hand. We are hidden in Jesus and we are seated in heaven, it says. And she states that we are primarily spirit. Joseph Schuber, a French moralist, said, without the spiritual world, material world is a disheartening enigma. And so, in our quest to clean up the life of church, we need to remember Romans 8, 9. It says, But you are not in the realm of the flesh, but the realm of the spirit, and indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Again, this is a call to be behave like children by praying with authority. Whatever you bind will be bound. And then we can release and command a blessing into the situation that we're in. I bless this situation with peace. I bless this situation with a real sense of holiness, Lord. I bless this situation in Jesus' name. So, just to conclude, in our quest to represent God's standards of holiness, let's not fool ourselves in the process. But let's remember that we are children of our Father. And we go out of this world just how we came in. We don't go out with any position or status or possession. But we do with a sense of belonging to our all-authoritative Father. And let's not neglect the way we speak to others, but do so with integrity and relationally. And also let's not neglect the way we speak to our Father, but engage in prayer with him as we seek to bring light and life in our church, in our family. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred. Let me sow love. Where there is injury. Pardon. Where there is doubt. Faith. Where there is despair. Hope. Where there is darkness. Light. Where there is sadness. Joy. O oh, divine master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, not so much to be loved as to love with all my soul. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are raised to eternal life.
Amen. 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 Amen.